Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture this morning is from Acts chapter 11, and it's filled with profanity. So listen. Now the apostles and believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. And at that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa, bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. Well, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Last Sunday in the sermon, I repeated a story that I had told some years ago with the promise that the best ones I would tell more than once. I'm going to do that again today because you shouldn't be penalized for just missing one sermon five years ago and missing the best sermon. So here's the story that I told years ago. My friend Ed Bedingfield uh, was the pastor I worked with when I was in seminary. I was a part-time 
youth minister in seminary. He's still a pastor in North Carolina. But Ed had gone to Yale Divinity School. And after his graduation, he and his new wife uh, went to one of her family reunions down in South Alabama. Well, somewhere at the family reunion between the congealed salad and the potato salad, one of Sarah's aunts, his wife's aunts, cornered Ed and took him to task. She was a little suspect of his Ivy League education and said, You aren't one of those liberal preachers who believes that Jesus was a Jew, are you? Well, I don't want to get any angry emails after the sermon, but Jesus was a Jew, always. All of Jesus' early followers, Jews, Peter, John, Andrew, all the guys who were in the boats, the witnesses to the healing, all of those people, Jews. And Jesus brought a new message, a flesh and blood incarnate message of God's love into the Jewish community of faith. He was reforming his own tradition. You have heard it was said, but I say unto you. And Jesus was creating for these early Jewish followers new categories of God's love that were so outrageous and so scandalous they couldn't even imagine. And one of the most outrageous considerations of the early church was whether or not you had to first become a Jew in order to be a Christian. Stay with me. This is not that easy. In fact, the obvious question would be yes. I mean, every early Jewish, every early Christian was Jewish. They believed Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Savior of the Jewish people. They had no intentions of not being Jewish anymore. All the early Christians kept kosher at mealtime. They kept away from things that would keep them ceremonially unclean, like hanging out with people who weren't Jewish. So a real problem occurred when the Jewish Christian followers learned that some Gentiles had come to believe that Jesus was their Savior too. They believed that God had raised Jesus from the dead and that in his victory over death, they too had the opportunity and the promise of life abundant and life eternal. And this was not a problem that the early Jewish Christians had considered. And now Peter's in some hot water because he's gone to meet with and talk with some Gentiles about this and even eat with these nasty Gentile people. And as soon as he got back, the questions were hurled at him. Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? And Peter doesn't give a short summary. Instead, he tells them the whole big story that's changed his mind on this matter. He tells him he was in Joppa, saw a vision. Large sheep comes down, animals, four-footed animals, reptiles. The voice says, Peter, kill, eat. But remember, Peter is a good and faithful Jew. He's not going to eat these things and violate the kosher requirements. 
So he says, by no means, Lord, nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This exchange happens three times. Peter is a little stubborn. And then the sheet and the vision are called up to heaven. The dream is over. And what can this lesson in profanity possibly mean? Well, before he can even shake himself awake, get clear of his disturbing dream, three men come to him, ask Peter to come with them to Caesarea. But these are Gentiles, and well, I mean, you should just stay with your own kind, shouldn't you? But Peter goes, takes along some friends, because the Spirit told him to go with them and to not make a distinction between them and us. Well, this is almost unprecedented. How would you go to the home of an unclean Gentile and not make a distinction between them, those people, and us? But when Peter gets to the house where he was directed, a Gentile man's house, he did go in. Peter speaks what's on his heart, and unbelievably, the Holy Spirit fell on this gathering of dirty Gentiles, just like he had seen the life-giving Spirit of God enter the lives of his Jewish friends back home. And just at that moment, Peter remembers Jesus saying, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And before his eyes, he is watching this pork-eating, Sabbath-defiling, unclean group of men immersed in the Spirit of God. So Peter tells this whole long story to the religious leaders who were confronting him for hanging out with the Gentiles and concludes his defense by saying, Who was I? To hinder God. God is out there at work loving and forgiving and claiming people who are not at all like us. Who am I to get in the way of that? And when Peter's accusers heard this, they went silent for a moment. And then they praised God And simply said, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. It's just remarkable. Even to the Gentiles, there are no unclean people. All people, all people. There is no profane person. Every person who takes a breath is made in the image of God. What God has called clean, you must not call profane. It is a basic and central doctrine of God's love that we open our lives to see all people as made in the image of God. And all of us called to be Christ followers have got to be willing to walk to Caesarea if the Spirit calls us and to sit at tables of people who don't look like us. Only apparently we don't. I read a disturbing article recently about demographic research done in Chicago. Chicago has 23 distinct linguistically isolated ethnic 
neighborhoods. A German neighborhood. A Catholic neighborhood. A liberal neighborhood that borders an environmentally friendly neighborhood. 23 distinct neighborhoods. It's a way for people to surround themselves with people like them and avoid interaction with people who do not share their little cultural world. The research shows, and this is a little creepy to me, that by knowing a person's ethnicity in Chicago, you can not only predict where they live, but whether they pull for the White Sox or the Cubs. We live with people like us. It's us and them. Clear lines. People like us, people not like us, the people who are different from us, according to the research, appear to all be uh, different. Uh, Let me say that again. Those who are different are all different in the same way. Let me unpack this. This is the most disturbing part of the study to me, and it even comes with a little technical jargon on the side. This is called outgroup homogeneity effect. That is, we see the people within our group as diverse. Every person's unique. Tom is not like Stan. We know that. But all the outgroup are the same. You know how the Mexicans are. Well, what begins as seemingly harmless affinity groups can snowball into distrust, inaccurate perceptions, prejudice, and hostility, the study says. And you mix into that, into our living patterns, all of us getting our news from only news outlets that, viol- that, that uh, support my little tribe and what we've agreed on, and who knows... Well, Peter awakes from his vision, and the three men say, We want you to come with us. But it means walking into a Chicago neighborhood where you have never been, with people who don't look like you, who don't eat the same foods, who don't even root for the same Chicago baseball team that you love so dearly. I want want to take you to the home of a guy who worships differently, dresses differently, loves differently, votes differently. And remarkably, Peter says, who am I to hinder God? What God has called clean, you must not call profane. And he gives this radical report to the leaders, and they praised God and said, then God's given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. I'm not sure we have done as well. We still treat people as one of us or not one of us. It's sometimes subtle. A few weeks ago, I heard a news report. You probably heard it too about the plane crash in Russia, the commentator on that report said on that horror 41 people dead including one American 41 people lost their lives but one of them was like us 
Peter's vision didn't settle the matter, by the way. In Acts chapter 15, there was a big church and conference meeting where each side got to speak to the issue about whether or not Gentiles could become Christians. Paul was there. Peter was there. Barnabas was there. It was a big church meeting. At one point, it's called the church, the council at Jerusalem, and they started hearing from different sides of the argument. And one side made their point saying, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. That is, Gentiles can be allowed in but only if they become Jews first. And then the chair recognized another hand speak against the motion. This time Peter stands up and says, God who knows the human heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. The vision from Joppa still clearly in his head. No distinction. There is no person profane. Lucky for you and for me, Peter's argument won the day. We are allowed to be part of the church, not having to become Jews first. The spirit of the early church following the teachings of Jesus is that all people are children of God. So I ask you to consider as we come to the table, the table that represents God's sacrifice for all people, if there is anything that you might be doing right now for any group of people that might hinder God, Is there any group for you that you would have a hard time welcoming to this table or to your table at home? Is there any way God's expansive love has a limit in the way you interact with your fellow humans? Is there any way you are hindering God? Would you consider that as we come to the table of God's sacrifice for all persons? We're reminded of the night Jesus came and sat with his disciples. He took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the covenant in my blood poured out for many. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.